Okay, so John chapter 5. Let's just read a couple of, a few verses here as we start. Verse 1, and there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and there was in Jerusalem a sheep gate, by the sheep gate, a pool. The sheep gate was where they brought in animal sacrifices to the temple. That's a good name for it. I guess they could have called it the oxen gate or the turtle dove gate. Uh, but they called it the sheep gate. And in uh, this, there were five colonnades, uh, roofed colonnades, porches, and a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed, and one man who had been there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said, Do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. And there was, a, by the way, some, depending on the version you're using, some have this in it and some don't, but the, the tradition was that an angel would periodically stir the water, come and stir the water in the pool, and whoever was the first in was healed. Um, a lot of versions leave that passage out, uh, so you may or may not have that. But that was the... Uh, the tradition, the story that went with it. So he said, I have no one to help me down there. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, took up his bed and walked. Um, It's a pretty familiar story, I guess. Um, One thing uh, about it, I will say... uh, the, the next verse says this was the, the Sabbath day that Jesus did that. Uh, the thought is probably uh, he made that appearance and, uh, and healed that fellow on the Sabbath on purpose, really to, of course, Jesus knew what he was doing and he was very strategic in it the whole way through. And he was going to expose the Pharisees uh, and show the drift in the Jewish religion from the way the laws, uh, the law of Moses had been given to what it had become. And this is going to come to a, <clears throat> a point here as, as we continue reading this. But uh, do, uh, do you think it's interesting or strange that Jesus asked the guy in verse 6, do you want to be healed? I think that's a strange question. Anyone? Any comments? Nobody here thinks it's a strange comment, just me. Jesus knew the answer. Why did he ask him? Mike doesn't know. Sir, Jeff. Jesus wanted to hear the guy make a statement. He wanted him to say something. Uh, you know, passages like this always have parallels for us to draw things, for people like me to draw things from and try to make applications. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But uh, do you want to be healed is uh, really can have a lot of application for us too in terms of uh, 
think of it, uh, is there something in my life, is there something in your life that needs to be changed? And a lot of times we know what that something is. Uh, you know, when the, when the water stirred, it was every man for himself. <laughs> uh, nobody that was around him was very interested in helping him to get down there. They wanted to get down there. That's why they were there. So elbows were flying and it's every man for himself. Eric? Yes. There can be all sorts of psychological things going on. Uh, do you want to be healed or do you want to change? Uh, healed from whatever challenge is in our lives. Healed from whatever addiction, temptation, weakness that we may have. And a lot of times we sort of know if I... If I make a change, there's going to be a cost. Uh, there's a price to pay, and I don't, want to, I don't want to pay that price. I don't want to change. Uh, I think it's still an appropriate question for us today to consider, do I want to be healed? Am I willing to make the effort to change, to make the change that needs to happen in my life? Uh, whatever it is that I know is my, is my weakness, is my temptation, is whatever number of faults I have, but it's within my power to make some adjustments if I will put my mind to it and assert myself and pray about it and take steps to make the change, but uh, a lot of times we're somewhat hesitant. And it's a good question for us. Do, do we want to be healed? If, if we do, or do we want to change? If we do then there needs to be a response from me involved in that. Uh, you also have to move on. Say again? You also have, to move on. also have to move on. And that was, that's kind of the next thing he said. Jesus, uh, he gives him his response and Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. Um, get moving. Um, so, so Jesus heals this guy and he did it on the Sabbath, and then the criticism starts. Uh, I would say to us as we leave this, uh, these two verses here, six and seven and eight, and, and he says, get up, take up your bed and walk. Um, you know, we, we all need to move forward. We all need to move forward. We all need to continually want to change to be healed uh, we're, we're incomplete people and I need to admit that if I'm going to make progress toward, for maturing and so taking this guy's uh, the example here I need to be honest I need to change some things about me maybe it's my temper whatever it is that you may be struggling with we all have different struggles of some sort. So, so it gets into verses 8 through 10, and the criticism begins because Jesus did this on the Sabbath. A couple of, couple of things about that real quickly. Um, 
So when the law was given in Exodus chapter 20, when the Ten Commandments were given, one of the commandments was that you shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The, the intent and purpose of that was to keep, have in your life a day that you say, this is the Lord's day and I'm going to use this day not as a regular work day, not as a day to go on about my business, but I'm setting it aside to remember my covenant, my relationship with God, to pray, to contemplate, to meditate, to be still, to rest, and just to be in communion with God the Father. That was the intent, that the Sabbath day is not a regular day, not a regular work day. Well, the, the Jewish leadership over time, they just went to work on that. And by the time we come to this, this point in time, 2,000 years after the commandments were given, uh, one, one author that I was reading said they had 39 categories of work. Now, that's not 35 types of work. That's 39 categor- categories. So a category might have 10 or 20 things in it and then another category and six or seven or eight things and another category and 30 more things and it just went on and on. They'd just gone to seed to define what was work. Missing the whole point. Totally missed it. Let's uh, turn to, back to Nehemiah uh, before Ezra and Job and Psalms and all those. Nehemiah chapter 13. I want to notice this. As, as we look at this, but um, it's kind of a description for us in Nehemiah what the Sabbath, uh, the complaint that God had toward the, the Jews about how they regarded the Sabbath. So Nehemiah 13, and uh, I'm going to start in verse 15. In those days, Nehemiah 13, verse 15, in those days I saw in Judah people treading wine, press, wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in, in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day that they, uh, when they sold food, Tyrians also lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what's this evil thing you're doing, profaning the Sabbath? Did not your fathers act in this way and did not our God bring all this this disaster on us and on this city? And you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the temple, uh, profaning the Sabbath. They, they had made it a work day for commercial gain was what they had done. They had turned the, the Sabbath day into just another Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday type thing. They were treading out the grapes. They were harvesting. They were loading up things, bringing it to the city to sell. They were just living and doing their business and not remembering God or keeping the Sabbath holy at all. And so he says here, the complaint was, you've you're profaning the Sabbath day and you're bringing God's wrath on us because you're disregarding him. So the idea was that the Sabbath was not for commercial gain. So the Pharisees complained to Jesus about this and Matthew talks about 
this event also in Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus says to them in Matthew 12, he says, if you had a sheep that fell into a ditch, wouldn't you reach down and pick him up? Get your sheep out of the ditch? That's Matthew 12, 9 through 12. Of course you would. So why are you complaining? Because this guy rolled up a pallet and, and is walking with his pallet. That's not work. That's not what Nehemiah lambasted the Jews for back in the day. He's not going to work to make money. I, I healed him and told him to take up his pallet and to move on. You're, you're totally missing the point. How is it okay for you to reach down and pull your sheep out of the ditch when it's not okay for this guy to walk with his pallet? The sheep weighs a lot more than the pallet. So it's inconsistent. They have, they have just gone off the deep end in their legalism and missed the point, missed the heart of what the Sabbath day was all about. Totally missed it. Totally missed it. And Jesus sends up there in uh, that section in Matthew 12, he says, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. He said, that's permissible. You can do good on the Sabbath. And I heal this guy, and it's okay. And so the stage is being set here for, uh, for the tension. The tension's going to keep rising, and in, th in this chapter it's going to climax where the Jews say, okay, we're, we've made our choice here, and we're going to have to kill this guy. That's where it's headed. Um, they have a dilemma, the Jews do, because when Nicodemus came to Jesus back in chapter 3, the first words out of Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and the first words out of his mouth in John 3 was, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you're a man from God because no one could do the miracles and signs that you do unless God's with him. And when he says we know, he's talking about the group he's with, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. He said, what? We know that you're connected to God. Nobody could do all the things you're doing unless God's with him. So they had that admission, but that ran against their tradition and all of the laws that they had manufactured, not the laws that God had given, but the traditions and laws that they had added to it. And Jesus ran aground on that and said, that's just... That's not the point. In one place, Jesus tells them, you need to go learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God said in Hosea, it goes back Hosea 6, verse 6, I desire your hearts, not your form. Don't, don't give me the forms. It's, religion's not about the forms. It's not about the robes. It's not about the building. It's not about all this stuff that you add to religion. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your fellow man as yourself. That's religion. That's it. They have added so much to it, and they would judge people if they violated all the additions they had made. So, so they have a problem.
Uh, in verse, uh, as we're looking in chapter 5 here, look at verse uh, 14. So after this initial thing had happened, Jesus found this guy in the temple and said, See, you're well. Sin no more, so that nothing worse can happen, will happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. And so this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. So there it is. There's the first they've decided we've got to kill him. Verse 18. Because he was breaking the Sabbath. Well, he was not breaking the Sabbath. He was breaking their rules about the Sabbath that were not from God. But because he was breaking the Sabbath and he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So they said, we've got, we've got to get rid of him. He's, he's breaking the, uh, the Sabbath and he's blaspheming. He's saying he's from God. Now, Jesus is going to really pour some gasoline on it here in the next few verses in 19 through 23. Uh, he says, I'm just doing what the Father tells me to do. I'm from the Father and I'm doing what he says. So Jesus is now claiming himself, I am from God. Yes, I am. Uh, I am the Messiah is what he's essentially saying. Um, Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. All that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So Jesus is claiming now, yes, I am from God. I am the Messiah. I am from the Father. And I do the things the Father does. Um, So we get to an interesting verse here, and it's a verse that we struggle with quite a bit, uh, I think, in our brotherhood. Uh, So let's look at it. John 5, verse 24. Jesus is talking. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You may want to read that again. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Who's that? The one that hears his word and believes him. Comments? Seems simple. Let's let's make one clarification here. One clarification. Turn back to John chapter 3. Something we need to understand. 
the last verse in John chapter 3. And this is after Jesus has said that God so loves the world, he gave his only begotten son in verse 16. We're familiar with that. Now look at verse 36. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's, say, let's read it again. I want you to get this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. In the first part of the sentence, he says, whoever believes has life. And then he explains, whoever does not obey does not have life. So, In this verse, believing in the sense of saving belief is tied directly to obeying, right? Whoever believes has life, whoever does not obey does not have life. Well, what if you just believe but you don't obey? Don't have life. Whoever does not obey does not have life. That's what it says. So to believe in the sense of a saving faith or belief necessarily includes, it's, it's a given, it includes obeying. Of course, Jesus says in John 14 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's obeying. Diane? I'm reading in the English Standard Version. What does yours say? Whoever disbelieves. If, if you disbelieve, you don't obey. Yes, sir, Carl. Follow Jesus. Go with Jesus. Follow him. Uh, you know, James tells us the demons believe, but they don't obey. That's their problem. So I want us to understand, when we come across in Scripture, when we come across the phrase, saved by faith, saved by believing, whoever believes, the, the big picture of that understanding, and, and it's supported by many other passages, is believing means following, obeying, walking as he walked. Uh, so let's go back to John chapter 5 and 24. So, uh, you know, I was teaching this one time and somebody says, uh, what, are you, what are you saying? Once saved, always saved? No. Look, uh, okay, let's look at, a, let's look at some, turn back to Revelation chapter 2. Scripture's pretty clear about this. We got, we got us about 18, 19 minutes. Revelation 2. So this is writing to the seven churches in Asia Minor, Revelation 2. Uh, let's see. Let's, let's look at, he's writing to the church in Ephesus in chapter 2. Look at verse 4. Uh, he says, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So, remaining faithful is necessary. It's part of the deal. He says, if you don't return to your first love, I'm going to take your lampstand out of its place. He's 
talking to the church there. And he says, you, you repent and come back to your first love. It's not once you stamp your ticket, then you can live like you want to. That is not the deal. It's like Carl said, it's about my lordship. It's about following me. Look and uh, just drop on down to verse 10 um, in the same chapter, Revelation 2. Uh, do not fear what you're about to suffer. He's talking to another church now, Smyrna. What you're about to suffer, uh, the devil the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for a period of time, 10 days. You'll have tribulation. Then he says this, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So there's a condition, be faithful, remain faithful, I will give you the crown of life. Um, turn back a few pages with me to James James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 19. So let's read this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Well, what if he wasn't brought back? Well, he's got a lot of trouble. Big trouble. Whoever brings back one from who has wandered away will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So it's not, not once saved, always saved, regardless of how you live. Scripture does not teach that. But I will assert this to you. My understanding is that it does teach once saved, always saved, if you remain faithful. Not perfect, but faithful. Let's look at a few passages. Go to, uh, go to Romans chapter 4. And while we're turning there, if, you're, if, you'll, if you'll just listen to uh, me as I talk while you're turning to Romans 4. Uh, God the Father wants us to be secure in his promise and in his purpose. He's God. He wants us not to be secure and not to be self-righteous. There's nothing about me, you or me, that needs to be, uh, there's no confidence there. But he wants me and you to be confident in him, in his promises, and in his purpose. And his purpose in sending Jesus to the world is to get us saved. He became flesh. He died on the cross to pay our sin debt. He came out of the grave to show us that we can come out of the grave. He ascended to heaven, Jesus did, to be our high priest. And he's coming back. God did all this. It's his purpose to get us to heaven. All of us weak, inconsistent, stumbling people. We are righteous through Jesus. And it was that way from the first century on forward and beyond that. Mankind's always been stumbling. Sir, Carl. Mm, yeah. And that's what James, when we read James, if somebody wanders off and goes off on their own and one of you goes and brings him or her back, you saved a soul from death. So... Um, so Romans chapter 4, so we're going to look real quickly at several verses here, and I want us to get this. Romans 4 verse 7, 
Blessed are those, this is quoted out of Psalms, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Will not count it. Are you going to be judged for something that God's not counting? No. It's gone. It's gone if you've come to Jesus. Don't minimize the power of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. Now, we're in Romans 4. Let's turn a couple of... This is a key passage here, Romans 8. We need to get this. Romans 8, we need to get it. There is therefore, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from, in Christ Jesus, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Very important here. There are two types of people in the world. Two types of people in the world. Those that are in Jesus and those that are not in Jesus. That's the two types. Those that are in Jesus and those that are not in Jesus. Those that are in Jesus are under the law of the spirit of life, under grace. Those that are not in Jesus are under the law of sin and death, law of works. Romans 3 verse 20 says, by the law of works, no one will be justified before God. No one. Because we can't keep the law perfectly. We're, we're inconsistent. Our anger gets the best of us. Our selfishness gets the best of us. Our lust gets the best of us. Uh, on and on. Can't do it perfectly. Under the law, he says, no one will be justified. We have to be in grace. Now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. This is what Jesus is talking about in John 5, 24. When he says, he who believes in him who sent me is not, does not come under judgment. He has passed from death to life. He has gone from the law of works, the law of sin and death, into a new law, the law of the spirit of life, where there is no condemnation. Sir, sin still has consequences. If I get drunk and run over somebody, there, there are consequences. I can be forgiven for getting drunk. I can be forgiven for causing property damage or killing someone. But there are consequences, even though there's forgiveness. Good point, Jeff. Um, 1 John 1, 7 says, if, 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 condition, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, his blood cleanses, present perfect tense, cleanses us from all sin. No sin. Are you perfect? No. Jesus is. His blood, 
His sacrifice cleanses us from all sin. Um, Turn over to Hebrews. Got about eight minutes here. Hebrews. Chapter 7. This is the fourth symbol up there on the screen, the arrow going up. Jesus has ascended to be our high priest. Hebrews 7, the writer says, let's start in uh, verse 22. <clears throat> Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. Under the former covenant, the former priests were many in number because they kept dying. Had to keep naming new priests. 24. But he holds his priesthood forever, permanently, because he lives forever, 25. Because of this, he is able to save completely, 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 oh, what? Completely, wait a minute, what was that? Completely, those who draw near to God through him. He's able to save partially. No, completely. Because he ever lives to make intercession for us and saying to the Father, Father, Don's my son, my brother. He messed up on that one, but count the cross. He's mine. I've paid for that. And on and on. He ever lives to keep us saved completely. We have passed from death to life. We do not come under judgment. Now, I want to clarify something that somebody may be thinking. Um, go back, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've got six minutes. Chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. Important that we get this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what is due for what he did in his body, whether good or bad. Okay, so mankind has an appointment to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There will be two groups of people, those that are in Christ and those that are not in Christ, those that are under grace and those that are not under grace but under works, those that are under the law of the spirit of life and those that are under the law of sin and death. The group that's under grace, under the law of the spirit of life, Jesus says, you're mine, come in. There is no judgment. There is no judgment for sins that are forgiven because they don't exist. They're gone. They're forgiven. They're paid for. To the group that's not in Christ, that's under the law of sin and death, they will give account of the deeds done in their body, whether good or bad. They do some good things, but they did some bad things. How'd they get forgiveness of their bad things? Didn't. They're under the law of sin and death. So we appear before the judgment seat of Christ and one group that's in Christ, he says, come in, you're my family. The other group, he says, let's see what you did. Can't come in if you're not in Christ. I'm the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Imperative that we be in Christ. Um, very interesting passage right here, Colossians Colossians chapter 1, important passage 
to understand. Got about two more verses we're going to look at. Colossians 1. Look at verse 21. He's talking to us right here. He's talking to us. Colossians 1. You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He paid for our sins by his death. In order, watch this, in order to present you holy and blameless, free from accusation, above reproach before him. We appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so how do we look? We look blameless, above reproach, free from accusation. No sin. We have passed from death to life. Once saved, always saved, if faithful. If faithful. Not perfect. First John says in chapter 1, you're going to sin. And if you say you don't sin, you're lying. You're going to sin, but when you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus. And his blood will continually cleanse you of all sin. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not impute sin. Does not impute sin. Does not count sin. Forgiven. So let's enjoy that. We don't take it for granted. It is not cheap. That's why we don't take it lightly. It's the blood of the Son of God given for us to pay for our mistakes and our sin. Very high price paid. Last passage, Revelation. Revelation, last passage right here. Chapter 20. I want you to see this. Revelation chapter 20. All right. Here we go. Verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great throne, and him who uh, was seated on it, from his presence the earth and the sky fled away. No place was found for them to hide. I saw the dead, the great, and the small standing before the throne. Watch. And the books were opened. And then another book was opened. Two sets of books. Two sets of books. Two sets of books, the books of the law of sin and death and the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done, according to their works under the law of sin and death. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, thrown into the fire. Two sets of books. Books of the law of works, of what people did that were not in Christ, and the book of life for the people who are in Christ. So Jesus tells his disciples, go into all the world, preach my gospel to everyone, tell them about me, tell them what I've done, tell them they can be saved, tell them they can have life, baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you. We've got to be in Jesus. 
and we never take it for granted, but it is a blessing beyond our comprehension that we have passed from death to life and do not come under judgment because we're in Christ. That was the plan from the beginning. Amen? Amen. Let's try chapter 6, Lord willing, next time. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.